Welcome to the ABTA podcast. On November 17th, we recorded a video dialogue with APTA staff Justin Elliott, Kara Gaynor, and Laura Keevil, where they gave an update on advocacy efforts to stop the Medicare payment cut. Here's that discussion. Good evening and welcome to APTA Live, an update on advocacy efforts, efforts to stop upcoming Medicare payment cuts. Hi, I'm Justin Elliott, Vice President of Government Affairs at the American Physical Therapy Association. And thank you for taking time to join us for tonight's discussion. You know, it's a little bit, it's been over a year uh, since we first saw the proposal rolled out from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, that would make broad and deep cuts to over 37 healthcare provider groups, including physical therapy. And these cuts are set to go into effect on January 1st, 2021. Well, ever since last year, we've seen a tremendous response from APTA members, our patients and our supporters to fight back and fight this cut through regulatory advocacy, legislative advocacy, and member engagement. Uh, now, uh, joining us tonight to talk a little bit about, about our current efforts and what we see uh, in, uh, in the upcoming weeks is Kara Gaynor, APTA's Director of Regulatory Affairs, and Laura Keevil, APTA's Grassroots and Political Affairs uh, Specialist. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on at efforts aimed at CMS and HHS and the White House, talk about the latest about what's going on on Capitol Hill and recent legislation that's been introduced to stop the cuts. And of course, talk about member engagement, our incredible member advocates who have been busy over the past year and ways that you and your patients can get involved. So first, I'm going to turn it over to Kara Gaynor. Kara, tell us a little bit about where we are in terms of the current latest news uh, from CMS and the proposed 2021 rule. Sure, thanks, Justin. So as you noted, we've obviously been fighting these cuts since they were for first proposed in July of 2019. And the cuts, as we've said numerous times, to physical therapy providers and dozens of other providers are to offset significant increases in value to some of the evaluation and management services, which are billed by primary care physicians and some specialty physicians. And I just want to emphasize, as you've said, you know, we've been fighting it, the cut since last summer, and we haven't been letting up. We've been holding countless meetings with HHS and CMS, the agency that administers Medicare, and uh, CMS earlier today, outlining not only our concerns with the policy, as well as what we feel has been a flawed analysis within these various rules issued last year and this year, but also continuing to provide CMS with ideas on ways that they can mitigate the cuts through actually rulemaking. Now, after the most recent rule was released in early August of this year, where CMS proposed that the cut to physical therapy would be approximately minus 9%, we initiated a huge advocacy effort and amassed more than 25,000 letters uh, from the physical therapy profession, their patients, and their supporters all sent to CMS, all urging CMS to stop the cut. And obviously we wanted to make sure that the profession's voice was heard loud and clear that we don't stand for these cuts and that CMS absolutely should be changing the policy in the final rule. However, given that CMS has indicated time and again that this policy objective of increasing reimbursement uh, for some of the evaluation and management services is a goal of theirs, we do expect CMS to likely keep the rule as it was proposed and finalize it just like they had proposed it. 
But I want to emphasize for this audience and for those who are viewing later, even if CMS doesn't change the, the policy in the final rule, sending letters to federal agencies like the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, when they issue policy proposals such as the 9% cut, sending letters is vitally important for several reasons. Um, one, if, if an agency receives overwhelming opposition or support for a policy, it's justification for the agency to finalize the policy as proposed or not finalize the policy as proposed, depending on uh, the comments that they receive. Um, also, the comments become part of the legal record in case there's ever any legal action against the agency. And then also Congress expects to see individuals who oppose or support a policy to communicate as such by submitting comments in response to the proposed rule as submitting comments is really actually the only formal mechanism by which you can actually voice your opinion. The public can voice their opinion on uh, a federal agency's proposal. Now, in terms of what comes next, the comment period for the 2021 fee schedule proposed rule closed back on October 5th and CMS then reviewed the comments and then had to pub, uh, put forward a final rule. And before they publish the final rule, it actually has to be reviewed by uh, the Office of Management and Budget before it's published. So typically we see the final rule come out no later than November 1st. Uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, CMS said that they would be releasing the rule later this year, but no later than uh, essentially December 1st. So we will see the rule within the next couple of weeks. And that rule will take effect on January 1st. Now, in addition to the policy regarding the payment increases and decreases, the final rule includes a number of other policies, um, including policies regarding PTAs and maintenance therapy in outpatient settings, um, PTAs being able to bill uh, permanently communication technology-based services, um, and many, many other policies that are included in the rule, not to mention MIPS. Um, and policies related to the quality payment program. So that's what we'll expect to see in the final rule. Obviously, as soon as the rule is released, we'll notify the profession, we'll publish summaries, we'll alert the profession as to what the rule includes. But Justin, recognizing that it's unlikely that CMS will make drastic changes in the final rule as it relates to uh, the cuts, this really gets back to you and our efforts on the Hill. So do you wanna go ahead and share with the audience what's been happening in Congress as of late? Yeah, sure, and and thanks, Kara. So ever since last year when this proposal came out, it seemed pretty, at least it seemed to us that CMS pre, uh, seemed pretty intent on moving forward uh, with this flawed proposal. And so uh, APTA, both alone and also reaching out to a number of healthcare provider groups, have really been leading the charge of raising this issue on Capitol Hill and the need for members of Congress to intervene and stop this proposal uh, from going forward in its current form. And again, it's not just APTA, but we're working uh, together and collaboratively with a whole host of other provider groups. Everyone from the occupational therapist, the audiologist, speech language pathologist, radiologist, pathologist, surgeons, you name it. A whole group, uh, a, a wide group of, of impacted providers. Again, 37 different healthcare providers are facing steep cuts. And we've been working together and working very well together to make sure that Congress is educated about this, asking them to weigh in on CMS, asking them to alert uh, both House and Senate leadership uh, about this issue. 
And we saw this in actually back in February when uh, we saw a bipartisan letter signed by over 55 members of the U.S. House to Seema Verma at CMS saying, we need to know more about this proposal because we want to see the math and we want to see the accountability and transparency of how you came up with proposal, demanding answers from CMS about this. In May, we saw another letter, bipartisan led by Congressman Bobby Rush, a Democrat from Chicago, and Congresswoman Susan Brooks, a Republican from Indiana. Again, another big, broad, bipartisan letter going, uh, talking to uh, House leadership, expressing concern that these cuts would have on therapy services, specifically on therapy services and the critical role that therapists uh, play, uh, not only in COVID, but also with the opioid. Uh, epidemic. We saw another letter by Congress, Congressman Rush in uh, late August, again, raising the alarm that the House uh, needs to intervene. And then this fall, most recently, we saw a letter, uh, again, by Congressman Bobby Rush and uh, Congressman Marshall, a Republican from Kansas, signed by over 161 members of the U.S. House, bipartisan, to CMS and to the Secretary of HHS, saying, you need to stop and rethink this proposal. This is going to hurt too many people right now at this time. And then finally, most recently, just a couple weeks ago, we saw a letter, uh, again, bipartisan letter, Congressman Ami Barra, a Democrat from California, and Congressman Larry Bouchon, a Republican from Indiana, come together, a bipartisan letter signed by 229 uh, members of the United States House going to Speaker Pelosi and Leader McCarthy, saying it's time for the U.S. House to act. We've got to do something. On the Senate side, we've seen also members of the United States Senate saying, this is something that we need to be concerned about. Senator Tester, Democrat from Montana, writing to CMS back in January, expressing concern about how this is going to impact rural and underserved areas like states in Montana. Now, his Republican counterpart, Senator Daines, also wrote a letter expressing concern about this. And of course, Susan Collins, a Republican from Maine, recently sent a letter to Leader McConnell and Chuck Schumer saying the Senate needs to act on this. This is happening on January 1st. We got to get on this. Now, the good news is, is that we've had legislation, again, bipartisan legislation that was introduced just a couple weeks ago, again, by our, our champions, Congressman Ami Baer, a Democrat from California, and Congressman Larry Bouchon from uh, Indiana, and it's uh, H.R. 870-T, 8702. Now, this uh, bipartisan legislation, and we're, I was just looking at the recent list of co-sponsors, which is growing every day, um, this bipartisan uh, legislation would basically put a two-year pause, a two-year stop on these uh, uh, cuts from going in. It would allow the increases to go into effect for primary care. No one has uh, any problem with primary care physicians getting an increase. We don't have a beef with that. But we do have problems with it being with the cuts from PTs and OTs and speech for us being asked to subsidize those, cre those increases for primary care. It's a robbing Peter to pay Paul. And what this legislation would do is basically put a two-year stop on those cuts, allow the increases to go into effect, and this would allow for uh, all the impacted providers, PTs, OTs, surgeons, radiologists, to really have a more thorough discussion with CMS, with HHS, to find a better way to do this. There's got to be a better way to do this because CMS has been really just not listening to stakeholders and not only just to providers, uh, but to patients and other impacted groups. And as Kara said, we've had tremendous uh, response in terms of not only uh, uh, healthcare providers and patients uh, talking to CMS, but as, as I just mentioned, a lot of members of Congress have been raising this with CMS and they just aren't listening. And so we're saying, let's put a pause on the brakes, give us two years, 
Let's all come together and work on a much more sensible, pragmatic, permanent solution so you don't cut 37 healthcare providers during the middle of a global pandemic. As I said before, and I will continue to say it, making healthcare cuts during a pandemic is reckless and irresponsible. And I think most members of Congress are beginning to realize that, yeah, this is going to happen on January 1st. CMS is not going to stop what they're doing. It's time for us to step in and tell CMS you're going to put a pause on this. Now, what does this mean? We have a bill that's now been introduced. There's not a Senate companion yet. Uh, we've been obviously asking folks to members on the Hill to sign on. And, and Laura is going to talk in just a few minutes about ways that you can help on this. Now, what we what this means, because uh, in terms of timeline, uh, we are now in what's known as the lame duck session of Congress. It's that time after the election, but before January 1st, where Congress has a lot of work that they have to get done before the end of the year. Um, and then what happens on December 31st, that's the end of the 116th Congress. They all go home and then come January, the new Congress, the 117th session, that starts in January and everything starts over for the next two years. So the, they've got to get this passed, not only because uh, it's the end of the year and the cuts are coming, but it, we're coming to the end of the 116th session of Congress. If they don't get it now, then the next Congress has to take care of it. And we don't, we want it, we want this done now. Um, and so there's a couple things that, you know, we're looking at doing with this bill. It's not going to go through the standard committee process. We won't have time for hearings. Uh, but what we want them, what we want Congress to do is to attach H.R. 702 to any moving must pass legislative vehicle. And there's a couple vehicles that Congress has got to do before the end of the year. The big one is the, what's known as a continuing resolution. If Congress doesn't pass what's known as a, this continuing resolution, a CR, by December 11th, then the government shuts down. And so we know that members of Congress, they don't, particularly now, don't want another government shutdown. So they have to pass this spending bill that will keep the government open. And so we see that as a great opportunity and a potential vehicle for this bill to be hooked onto. Now, there's also talk about maybe Congress doing a potential COVID phase four package. They've been talking about doing a phase four package uh, since May. Uh, and right after the election, a few days after the election, we saw some hope that, yeah, maybe Congress was going to come together uh, after the election. Everything's kind of hopefully cooled down. Um, and they would come together in bipartisan fashion and get a COVID phase four package uh, done quickly. Well, as we've seen over the last few days, uh, that has kind of fallen apart right now. Those negotiations, which seemed so promising just a few days ago, uh, have now kind of stalled. Now, that doesn't mean that it's over. I think there is still a desire and a momentum that Congress, given the current economic situation and the uptick that we're now seeing in this next wave, that they do need to do something in terms of a new COVID relief package. And so we could potentially see a COVID relief package uh, come, come, come together in December. That would also be a great vehicle for this bill, H.R. 8702, uh, to be hooked onto. There's also what's known as Medicare extenders. These are bills that will keep uh, community health centers open. Uh, they need to pass that because if they don't get that extension, they're not going to be authorized. And so there's a couple of big vehicles that we are hopeful that we'll get this bill on. Now, our ask, you know, has been to Congress not only to be uh, to join it, but also we need members of Congress. If they're a Democrat in the House, they need to talk to Speaker Pelosi and say, make H.R. 8702 a priority. If they're a House Republican, they need to go to Leader McCarthy and say, you need to make this bill a priority. Now, on the Senate side, if they're a Senate Democrat, we want them to go to Chuck Schumer and say, 
we need this to be part of any package. And of course, if they're a Senate Republican, we need them to go to Senate uh, Leader McConnell and say, make this part of, of, of any package. So we have a few weeks to go. Uh, we have a lot on the radar, uh, a lot going on in Congress. Uh, there's a lot of noise uh, right now on Capitol. And it's been a kind of a crazy year on Capitol Hill with a lot of noise, uh, with the election, with the Supreme Court uh, uh, vacancy, with the pandemic. But the good news is, and Laura is going to talk a little bit about this, is we, because of your efforts, because of APTA efforts, because of our members and our patients, we have been able to break through that noise and get this issue on Congress's radar. They are now well aware of the impending situation and the dire straits that our patients are facing come January 1st. And so now to talk a little bit, I'm gonna turn it over uh, to Laura Keevil about some of the tremendous and outstanding engagement uh, that our member advocates have been doing for over a year. I mean, unprecedented response in terms of emails and meetings. Uh, Laura, talk a little bit about uh, all the work that you've been doing with our, our member advocates. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Justin. And thank you everyone for joining us from all around the country. We appreciate you taking your time to be here with us today. My name is Laura Keevil and I'm the Grassroots and Political Affairs Specialist at APTA. We're so appreciative of the efforts you've given so far and the resilience that you've shown during this fight. We've been fighting this cut all year from our virtual federal advocacy forum to the countless meetings APTA members held over Zoom meetings with members of Congress during August recess to our September Fight the Cut virtual rally, we've been taking our stories directly to members of Congress and letting them know how devastating these cuts would be. Since September alone, over 110,000 emails have been sent to Congress by APTA members and supporters and over 200,000 total emails have gone to Capitol Hill this year from APT members and supporters. This number is immensely impressive and our work continues with full force. APTA members have also helped secure legislator support for many congressional sign-on letters. And we aren't in this fight alone. We've had um, over 37 provider groups stand with us in our advocacy efforts too. We've also had a targeted paid media campaign to spread the word to a wider audience on how devastating the cuts would be. Also, not to mention, it's amazing that our work and the response from advocates like you have not slowed at all, especially given the challenges and changes created by this pandemic. I can't stress enough how your story is important and it makes a difference. Recently, we've held some targeted Senate meetings in different states throughout the country, and we asked some of our grassroots network members to send their personal story so that we could bring it to the meeting and share it directly with the Senator on how the cuts would impact them, the patients they serve, and the overall physical therapy profession. The response was incredible and compelling. This cut would not only impact practices and patients, but educators as well. I would like to share a couple of the stories with you. And uh, the first one is from an educator in Indiana. So they write, as a full-time physical therapy educator, this cut would create a huge barrier to the education of DPT students in the state of Indiana. I have already heard from our clinical partners who agree to host students for mentorship during their DPT training for clinical experiences, that if this cut goes through, they will need to end or significantly slash their physical therapy student programs. Because this cut would mean the need to cut PT staff, or in some cases, close their doors, they would, they would no longer be able to host students for their internships due to no longer having the resources to support student learning. 
Finding clinical sites willing to host and educate our DPT students is already difficult because of dwindling healthcare resources, and this would be the nail in the coffin. This is not something I merely fear, but I have been contacted by clinical partner hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, and other clinical organizations that they are agreeing to host students for internships next year based on these cuts not going through because they do not think they will have sufficient staff to support their student programs if the 9% cut is approved. Students are not allowed to treat patients without the direct supervision of a licensed physical therapist 100% of the time because of other Medicare policies. Because these cuts would cause sites to need to lay off physical therapists, student programs would be cut or eliminated and my program would not be able to graduate as physical therapy students. Because accreditation standards require that students attain 30 weeks of full-time clinical practice supervised by a licensed physical therapist in order for them to graduate, this means my students would not be able to meet their graduation requirements. The detrimental impacts to PT student education that this cut would have is, of course, additional to my considerable concerns of what this would mean for patient access to physical therapy services. Because I anticipate you will hear many stories about those impacts, I want to focus on the impact that this would have on training the next generation of physical therapists. What a powerful story for a legislator to hear. If you are impacted in this way, by all means, let your legislators know, write a letter to them and tell them the significant impact it would have on you and your work. You have so much power in your story. And I'd like to share another one that um, an APC member from South Dakota shared with us that we brought to um, Senator Thune. So they write, this cut would mean our entire margin at some of our clinics. We are looking at which offices we may have to close due to higher volumes of payment by Medicare. Expenses have, expenses have risen due to COVID-19, limiting the number of patients being seen and the number of patients we can see due to additional cleaning between each patient. In addition, the cost of PPE is an additional factor. In South Dakota, we will be able to continue with our larger clinics due to the number of patients and the, and the mix, including cash pay and insurance paying for therapy. However, it will be problematic for us to continue with providing services in smaller clinics, for instance, where we contract by services in a nursing home. Our practice, our practice extends into Minnesota, and we are looking at closing three of our clinics in rural areas because the population we serve is up to 95% Medicare. The margin is not there for us to pay our staff, provide services to travel to these areas, and to make a profit. We are struggling already with COVID-19 changes and further cuts will force our hand to close these offices and lay off staff in those communities. Are you ready to raise your voice too? If you've already sent an email to your members of Congress or sent them a letter on this issue or called them, we need you to do it again and send another letter. We have to keep the pressure up as we reach the end of this Congress and every voice and every story matters. It's easy if you want to send an email of your own to your members of Congress on the 9% cut. For APTA members, you can visit our members only Legislative Action Center on the APTA um, advocacy app as well as on the website. The app is not only handy to send emails to Congress, but you can also look up our priority issues, learn more about your members of Congress, and donate to PTPAC, the Political Action Committee of APTA. PTPAC is an essential tool in fighting the 9% cut because it provides direct access to legislators where we discuss the 9% cut. For colleagues who may not be APTA members or patients, students, friends, family, or neighbors, 
you can encourage them to send a letter of their own through our patient action center, which is public and open to everyone. It takes just two minutes to send a pre-written letter to your members of Congress. With both of the action centers, you can customize your letter to tell your story if you wanted to add in the important reasons of how the cuts would impact you. Our strength in numbers on this issue depends on you. Contacting your members of Congress is certainly one of the most important things we can do to fight the cut, especially since we have legislation now that can be added to these larger bills that are moving through at the end of the year. If you're an APT member interested in setting up a meeting with your member of Congress or um, other ways that we can get involved personally with a member of Congress, please reach out to us at advocacy at APTA.org. Again, it's advocacy at APTA.org. We can give you the tools and guidance you need to make it happen and answer any questions you may have. So uh, that's all I have on my end. I'm going to hand it, hand it back over to Justin. Well, thanks, Laura, and thanks, Kara. You know, um, Laura, you bring up a good point in, in about the meetings with members of Congress. And, you know, over this past year, COVID has just completely changed our world, it's impacted our patients, it impacted our practices. It's also impacted our advocacy in some ways, but we certainly have not, that certainly has not stopped us. And one of the things that has changed is obviously Capitol Hill is now closed to, to outside visitors or most visitors. And so, Laura, I was going to ask a question, you know, in terms of ways that members uh, can meet with their members of Congress. We have found that Zoom meetings uh, between Hill offices are, are, are pretty popular, but there's also ways that folks can engage through social media. I was going to say, could you share with us some of the other tricks of the trade that uh, we're able to engage in to get this message through to members of Congress? Absolutely. Uh, as far as Zoom meetings go, that's an excellent way to get face-to-face -face with your member of Congress and their staff, since you don't have to travel to meet with them. You don't have to give up what you're doing for the afternoon to go meet with them. You can just hop on a Zoom call and they're right there to talk to you. So that's a great avenue to go down. It's now really the norm, the new normal that everyone is saying. So they're used to this and they're wanting to meet with their constituents to see, you know, how the, the pandemic is affecting them and how, you know, the, the issues that are going on right now want, are affecting their constituents. As far as social media goes, that's another powerful tool that we have to connect with members of Congress. In each congressional office, they have a dedicated person who reads the letters, who responds to the emails, and monitors their social media accounts. So there is somebody that does see what you're posting to them. The trick of the trade, though, is to actually tag your legislator in your post about the cut. So you want to, you know, of course, be brief, especially if you're on Twitter but you have to make sure you tag that legislator or else they won't see it. And we also have a hashtag that we use that will connect um, our stories all together on both Facebook and Twitter. It's hashtag fight the cut. I'm sure you've seen it all over the place. I'm sure we have it um, all over our Facebook since we're on Facebook Live right now, but definitely use that hashtag and you can connect with others and see what they're saying um, about the 9% cut. And legislators will see that too if they look at the hashtag. But um, it's an incredibly powerful medium because not only does your member of Congress see how this issue would impact you, but it, it goes out to the world at large. So it helps build support. It helps build awareness of what's going on. And again, um, it's a very powerful tool. It has to be used correctly. Um, you know, we've seen how it can be used incorrectly and you don't want to, you know, engage any trolls or you don't want to be super long winded. You really just want to have a quick, concise message on what you want to um, put across to the member of Congress. But I highly encourage you to 
to try it out and uh, to share your story and to share pictures and, and just be visual and be creative. Right. Well, you know, because you bring up a good point. This is something that's not only going to impact, you know, practices throughout the country. Uh, it's going to impact schools, as you mentioned. It's going to impact students who need clinical sites. But most importantly, it's going to impact our patients. And as you mentioned, uh, rural and underserved areas, that incredibly powerful story that you were sharing from one of our members, you know, you think about these rural states where sometimes it's the only clinic uh, in the county uh, and folks would have to drive 100 miles to go to the next uh, clinic. What's going to happen to those patients? Again, most of these folks are senior citizens. What's going to happen to them if the only clinic with 100 miles or the only clinic uh, within their county uh, shuts down uh, because of these cuts? Um, you know, I was going to ask Kara, uh, Kara, one of the, the things that, you know, obviously we are eagerly anticipating is, of course, the release of the final rule. Um, you know, I always say it's like, it's almost like Christmas, but it's never as much fun. Um, <laughs> kind of like a bad Christmas. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, what we've heard that it could be released maybe as soon as uh, the Monday after uh, Thanksgiving, um, and but maybe even later. And could you kind of roll out or uh, outline you know, once the final rule is released, what can our members expect in terms of the communications that we're going to be pushing out to keep them up to speed and up to date on what's in the final rule? Yeah, thanks, Justin. So I think the earliest we'd likely see the rule is that Monday, November 30th. Um, I'm really hopeful that they wouldn't release it um, next week before the holiday, but um, certainly most likely it'll be Monday, November 30th or Tuesday, December 1st. Uh, as soon as the rule is released, we will notify the profession via social media saying the rule is out. It's about 2,100 pages. Um, so we'll just announce that the rule is out. We will publish a summary specific to the uh, payment policy and the cuts uh, either that evening, depending on what time the rule comes out. We'll either publish a story that evening or publish a summary that following morning uh, summarizing what CMS has finalized as it relates to the cuts. Um, we'll disseminate that via uh, news blast, social media. On, it'll be on our homepage. And then within the next couple of days after that, we'll publish a more comprehensive summary that summarizes the rule as it relates to uh, MIPS, the quality payment program, um, the other policies that I mentioned, like the communication technology-based services. Uh, you know, we've asked CMS uh, to to put forward in the final rule a lot of policies that they didn't actually propose. Um, we also asked them to revise some policies that they proposed, uh, for example, as it relates to remote physiologic monitoring. We asked them to finalize the policy they proposed related to allowing PTAs to furnish maintenance therapy across outpatient settings. So we'll, we'll be reviewing the rule for all of those um, aspects that are scattered throughout the 2100 or so pages. And so that's what will be in the um, more comprehensive summary a few days after the rule comes out. And then Justin, I think you and I are going to be recording a webinar within the first week after the rule comes out, basically summarizing what the policy is in the final rule as it relates to uh, the cuts and uh, what will be taking effect theoretically on January 1st, but then also providing an update as to where we're at at that point as it relates to Congress and where we're at with the legislation and um, Congress potentially including that legislation in, in an end of year package. And then once we record that webinar and make it available on YouTube and on our website, 
I think then we'll be hosting various Q and A's. We'll be doing a Facebook, at least one Facebook live Q and A. Um, and then, uh, just doing uh, sporadic Q and A's for various member groups over the that next couple of days. So theoretically, the first two weeks of December are is going to be a ton of education and information coming out about the final rule. There's also actually a payment and regulatory update webinar scheduled for December second at two p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's free to members. All you have to do is go ahead and RSVP. You can just search on our website for payment and regulatory update webinar December second. Go ahead and RSVP, and um, essentially that'll be an update on some other federal policies as well as an update on uh, the fee schedule final rule. Um, but theoretically, you know, we're hopeful that by mid-December we will have kind of an answer as to what's to come January 1st, um, particularly as it relates to what's happening on the Hill. So lots of information that we'll be pushing out in the weeks ahead. But, you know, you bring up a good question, particularly uh, as, a, as a report, you bring up a good point as it relates to how we push out information. Obviously, you know, folks are signed up for the various uh, APTA newsletters that come out. That's that's critical. Coming to the website and, and seeing what we have posted, uh, checking out our Twitter feeds, uh, APTA tweets. Of course, I think Laura, uh, myself, Laura and Kara, we all are on Twitter as well. And we often push out information. But one way that folks can also uh, get information, particularly as it relates uh, to what's going on on Capitol Hill and federal agencies, is to sign up for the APTA uh, Advocacy Network so that they can receive these action alerts and blast emails. Laura, what's the best way for folks if they want to get these email blasts as well as receive uh, uh, the newsletter, the uh, advocacy newsletter? What, how do they go about doing that? What's the best way? Oh, and I, oh you're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. All you have to do is go to um, APTA.org slash advocacy and you can sign up to um, join our APTA grassroots network there if you're an APTA member. Uh, you can also visit our patient action center again if you are a non-member or a supporter or a patient and you can send your letter there and you can also sign up to receive additional emails from us. So around the 9% cut campaign, we've been blasting that list quite a bit to get there. Um, their, their emails to Congress as well. So um, it's a great way to stay involved. It's a great way to, um, to hear more about what's going on. So definitely sign up for the APTA Grassroots Network and uh, raise your voice. And we also provide training opportunities and different, uh, different uh, resources that you can use to help form what you want to say and, and uh, become the best advocate that you can be. Well, you know, and as we uh, as we wait here, of course, if folks, if you have questions, I forgot to say, if you have questions you want to ask, please do put those in the comment box. We're happy uh, to answer them while we have our last few minutes uh, here. But, you know, there's one thing I did want to uh, bring up, and that's the critical support uh, that PTPAC has played in our ongoing efforts to fight the cut. You know, a, a membership dues can't go to the Political Action Committee. Uh, the PTPAC relies on member donations. And thanks to those folks out there who have been supportive of PTPAC, APTA has been able to engage in over 450 politi political events uh, with senators, with uh, members uh, of the House uh, over the last several months. These are events where we're able to have conversations with them and talk to them about uh, the cuts and has been critical, uh, again, breaking through the noise that's on Capitol Hill. So through the work of PTPAC, through the work of folks sending letters to CMS, um, the proposed rule, 
with the action alerts and social media and member um, uh, meetings with their members uh, of, of, of Congress, uh, all of that coming together and the wonderful efforts by our members has really been critical throughout the last several months. Of course, if you want to learn more about PTPAC, you can go to ptpac.org and learn more about how to make a donation and how to be involved uh, in, in PTPAC. And again, uh, you do have to be an APTA member to be able to uh, be involved uh, with, uh, with PTPAC. Uh, so I know we're coming up on uh, 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 after, uh, in the last few minutes. Um, and I do want to just kind of first uh, maybe turn to Kara to you to see uh, any closing thoughts, any words of wisdom. You know, we have a couple uh, crazy weeks ahead of us. Uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, sure. So uh, before closing thoughts, I'll just add, I put in the uh, Facebook uh, comments, but uh, for those of you who don't know, APTA sends out uh, Wednesday news blasts and Friday news blasts. And it's kind of a compilation of stories that we've published that week. Uh, quick takes, which isn't a full-blown news story, but a kind of a summary of what's happening in federal agencies or what HHS is doing as it relates to the Provider Relief Fund, just um, a lot of updates. And so if you haven't, if you aren't receiving those uh, weekly emails, please go to your member profile and opt into those emails because we provide a ton of information in there, including information on um, advocacy opportunities that week. So uh, please do check that out uh, via your member pro profile. But in terms of just closing thoughts, I do just want to thank everyone uh, for your ongoing advocacy and support. Uh, I know I certainly couldn't do my job without all of you. So I just, I really want to express my appreciation. I so appreciate all of your ideas and outreach and support and your advocacy and your engagement uh, with the federal agencies. I know it's, you know, time consuming and, uh, but I just want to emphasize that your voice and your stories go a long way in communicating to the federal agencies why a policy might be um, uh, harmful to yourselves and your patients. And so it's really your voice that is critical uh, in moving the needle. And so, you know, we've had a lot of obviously um, challenging times this year, but I also want to note that we have had a lot of success in federal policy. Uh, ranging from NCCI edits to TRICARE and PTAs uh, to much more. And so we, that wouldn't be possible without you. So I just want to say a big thank you. And um, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at advocacy at APTA.org if you ever have any questions or um, want more information on how to get involved in advocacy. Laura, closing thoughts? Yeah, uh, so we really appreciate you taking the time to be here this evening and join us on this Facebook Live. I just want to leave you with um, your story is power and you make a difference. Continue to send emails, continue to call your members of Congress. Advocacy is a marathon and not a sprint. And uh, I just want to leave you with a quote from one of my favorite shows of all time, The West Wing. Decisions are made by those who show up. So let's continue to keep showing up and continue the fight. It's been a difficult year for everyone, but we can rise to the challenge and we are so powerful as one voice in one profession. So thank you all so much for your work. We are greatly appreciative of everything you've done. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Kara. And, you know, just to echo, you know, we know that this past year has been challenging uh, with the pandemic, with the economic uh, uh, recession, with uh, challenges uh, that our patients have faced. Um, and on top of that, the stress and anxiety of this proposal of this deep 
an unnecessary cut to physical therapy. Uh, but it's because of you uh, that we will persevere. You know, when faced with a challenge and when the chips are down, physical therapy profession doesn't sit back and take it. We stand up and we fight, and that's exactly what we're going to do, and that's what we've been doing. And thanks to you, and thanks to your advocacy, we're going to win this. And that's why now, more than ever, APTA membership matters, advocacy matters, and your support matters. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your advocacy. And thank you for being members of the American Physical Therapy Association. APC podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apca.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.